deconstruction. We accept the common definition as a Christian phenomenon where people unpack, rethink, examine their belief systems. We do not believe that deconstruction is inherently good or bad. Depending on how it is approached, it can lead to a variety of conclusions, including the strengthening, adjusting, or abandonment of one's faith. The reason why we would do a series on this topic is because many people in this cultural moment are deconstructing their faith and then walking away from a relationship with Jesus as a result, which we see as a tragic problem. We believe that the God of the universe has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the composition of the Bible. Our mission in this series is to equip the saints for standing up against the lies of our culture that call God's word into question by twisting its meaning or by rejecting its authority altogether. Are you building something up or tearing something down? We refuse to be content with almost true. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? Second Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, to suit their own passions, to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You may be seated. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? These are the very first quoted words of the enemy. The very first. Did 
God really say? The very first temptation of humanity, did God really say? To call into question the word of God. Now the question, this question lies at the center of the cultural phenomenon that we have come to know as deconstruction. A cultural phenomenon that I know all too well. You see, deconstruction is a part of my story. And it was one of the most important experiences of my life. It was my sophomore year at Whitworth University. Go Bucks. I was in a class that covered the history of Christianity, and for the first time in my life, I was confronted with parts of the Christian faith that caused me to question its validity. Was the truth that I was raised to believe really the truth? I'm not even going to start on Christian colleges. We'll leave it there. The topic that became of greatest interest to me during that time was, why do I believe that the Bible is the word of God? In other words, did God really say? This question led me down a rabbit hole where I searched out the origins of the scriptures how they came to be, and how they came to be treated with such reverence and with such authority among followers of Jesus. From the fall of 2011 to the early summer of 2012, I wrestled with God. During that time, I would often come home for the weekend, have conversations with my dad that would turn into debates that would become so intense that my mom and sister would walk out of the room. I deserve that. It's Father's Day. I remember sitting down with Craig Brown during that time. He had graduated from Whitworth several years before and had taken the very same class that started my journey of uncertainty. He walked me through how he came to accept the claims claims that I had begun to doubt, but as solid and as sound as his answers were. By the way, Craig Brown is a wonderful apologist. Though in the moment, I was not satisfied. I want to pause that story for a minute and come back to it in a little bit. Right now, I want to address any of you who are in the midst of some sort of deconstruction process of your own. And I want to let you know that you're not alone and that you do not need to be ashamed. I know firsthand that most people who go through this kind of experience don't just decide one day on a whim that they're going to deconstruct their faith because it seems trendy or it sounds like a fun thing to do. Any of you believers out there who think that that's how it works? It ain't it. Quite the opposite is usually the case. 
For most, the journey of deconstruction is one that a person has begun because they have encountered an element of their faith which seems to be inconsistent with observable reality or that violates their conscience in some way. People on this journey don't usually feel like they have a choice. I think I'll deconstruct. It's either deconstruct or live dishonestly in a constant state of cognitive dissonance. That's how it feels, friends. That's how it feels when you're in this. Those who have embarked on such a journey know that there is usually nothing glamorous or trendy about it. It can be painful, lonely, and let me just be real with you for a minute. Terrifying. Terrifying. So if you find yourself in that place today, please know that we, I, am not here to shame you. Don't look down on you. What we are here to do, what I am here to do, is to share truth with you to the very best of my ability and invite you into the next step of the journey, which we hope will be a stronger, deeper, and more authentic faith than you've ever had. My premise today is simple, and for some of you it may seem like a foregone conclusion. My premise today is that the Bible is the word of God. I believe the words that we just read from Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now the big question today is why do I believe these things? Do you have a good reason? Now this question is a little bit beyond my own depth of knowledge, so I am going to lean hard into wisdom, into experience, into knowledge greater than my own. In fact, if you're watching, I want to give a special thank you to David Campbell and Gene Wyland for their influence on this message. So why do I believe that the Bible is the word of God? To answer this question, I want to invite you to follow me along a path. Now, it's not just a logical path but you'll need some logic for it. It's not just a spiritual path, but it will require faith. You can take the first few steps on this path with just your intellect, but the end will require much more of you. The first step on the path that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is that It claims to be. Bear with me for a minute. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Peter 1.20-21, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this step alone 
is just a claim. By itself, it's no more trustworthy than if I claim to be a 65-year-old Asian woman. But the value of this claim is that it provokes me to search for evidence. It invites me into the next step of the path. The second step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is its prophetic authenticity. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a little example. Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies from the Old Testament in his earthly ministry. I'm going to say that again. Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies from the Old Testament in his earthly ministry. I'm going to mention just a few of these prophetic fulfillments so that you guys can get a feel, but not a lot of them because time. Micah 5.2 was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Psalm 41.9 and 55.12-13 were fulfilled when Jesus was betrayed by one of his own followers. Zechariah 11.12-13 was fulfilled when Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53.7-8 was fulfilled when Jesus was tried and condemned and he was silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53.12 was fulfilled when Jesus suffered among sinners. Psalm 22.14-16 was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified and pierced in his hands and his feet. Psalm 22.18 was fulfilled when Jesus' clothes were divided by casting lots. Numbers 9.12 was fulfilled when none of Jesus' bones were broken in the process of his suffering and his death. Now, the reason why I would specifically mention eight, I don't know if you counted, eight prophecies, is that the mathematical probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person is believed to be about one in 100 quadrillion. That's 100 and then 15 zeros. Eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person. Jesus fulfilled 300, over 300. (laughs) Step one, this book claims to be the word of God. Step two, this book speaks of future events with uncanny accuracy. I'll say this, impossible accuracy. I think that's worth another step. Are you following me? I'm not really an apologist, but this is my task today. This is what the Lord has called me to. So pray for me. The third step that I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a little bit too much of a mystic in order to be a good apologist. So it is what it is. I'm, I'm a charismatic. The third step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is the unity contained within it. More than 40 writers, written over the course of more than 1,500 years, on three continents, in three separate languages. You're like, three? I thought it was only Greek and Hebrew. There's a little bit of Aramaic in there. And somehow, the messages contained between Genesis and Revelation are eerily unified with one another. There are at least 63,779 cross-references in the Bible. 63,779 cross-references at least. It's almost as if there were only one author. Impossible. Let's keep walking. The fourth step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God You're going to have to lean in a little bit on this one, friends. 
The fourth step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is the enduring testimony of the historical church. Ooh, that's kind of a mouthful. Let's try it again. The enduring testimony of the historical church. We have historical records of church fathers from as early as the second century affirming their belief in the scriptures as the word of God, starting with Clement of Rome, then with Irenaeus, Origen, Athanasius, Jerome, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, and continue on into the 20th century. Now, interpretation of the scriptures has been hotly debated since the beginning, but what has not been hotly debated until very, very recently is the authority of the scriptures as the word of God. The authority of the scriptures of the word of God was not seriously challenged by those in historically significant church leadership until the 1900s. 1900 years of followers of Jesus being in agreement with the claim that the scriptures are the word of God. Why does that matter? It matters because the idea of somehow following Jesus and yet rejecting the scriptures is a very new, very young idea. It would be inconceivable to the first 70, inconceivable, that reminds me of Princess Bride, nevertheless. It would be inconceivable, inconceivable. I can't even do that guy's lisp. It's perfect. It's, it's, it's iconic. It would be inconceivable to the first 74 generations of the faith. Inconceivable to the first 74 generations of the faith. That's your great, 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 great. You get the picture, grandpa. And then potentially acceptable to a fringe portion of just the most recent five generations. You know, it's an interesting feature of the postmodern era. All you millennials and Gen Zers and Gen Alphas, I need you to lean in real close for now. It's an interesting feature of the postmodern era, this idea that we know better than all the generations of human beings that came before us, that new ideas must be good ideas because, why? Because they're new. How arrogant can you be? Seth, see, my faith isn't about the Bible. It's about following Jesus. You're making this about the Bible and not about Jesus. Do you worship the Bible and not worship Jesus? Oh, my gosh. No, yes, go ahead and bring that. That's fine. Let me, let me just present a thought to you. Weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had a guy in here named Nathan Finocchio, wonderful, wonderful teacher. And he talked about the preferences of God, and he compared the preferences of God to avocado toast. Right? Remember that? That was really cool. And now it's stuck in all of our heads. Okay, let me, just, let me just present a thought to you because someone's like, well, what about the people who are able to receive Jesus because they've got some kind of special revelation and they never have access to the scriptures? Yes, that's absolutely possible. That's absolutely possible. If you hear that God likes avocado toast and you hear about a recipe that he really, really prefers. And you go, and you don't have access to the recipe, but you heard about it. You heard just a glimpse of the recipe, and you go, and you do your darndest to bring the avocado toast to God. There's beautiful grace for that. It's like a child bringing their art piece to daddy and going, do you like it? He's like, yes, I love it. Here's the issue. You have been given a 66-book, 1,189-chapter recipe for God's avocado toast. You can leave the accountability of the, of the tribes of unreached people groups between them and God, but this is what he's given you. 
And I want, to, I want to lay something before you today. There is a direct and positive correlation between an increase in access to knowledge and an increase in accountability. Those who have been, Luke chapter 12, those who have been given much, of much will be required of them. And those who have been entrusted with much, much will be demanded of them. You have the recipe. It is one thing to be told about Jesus, to be given a revelation of Jesus and to do your best to receive him and to love him the best way that you know how. But when the God of the universe gives you a 66 book, 1,189 chapter recipe, you better make some good avocado toast. Let me tell you something. What I quoted earlier from Luke chapter 12 were the words of Jesus. Those who have been given much, much will be required. Those are the words of Jesus. Just feel that for a minute. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is a word of the Lord to you. Those who try to pit the word of God against the son of God will be held to account. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. Jesus affirms the word. Jesus confirms the word and is confirmed by the word. Jesus spoke the word. Jesus used the word as a weapon. Jesus meditated, believed, was abided in the word. And by the way, Jesus was the word. Do not pit his son against his words. Seth's not mad at you. <laughs> Seth loves you. Now, I warned you about these last two steps. They are going to require more than your intellect. Bring your mind with you. I don't recommend you going anywhere without your mind. God didn't make you without a mind, and he's not threatened by it. But you're going to have to bring more of yourself than that. The fifth step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God is its transformational power. In all my life, I've never seen a book, a philosophy, a counselor, a substance, or any other thing that can bring about change in a person like the reading, the memorizing, the speaking, and the obeying of the Bible. I'm going to say that one again. In all my life, I've never seen a book, a philosophy, a counselor, a substance, or any other thing that can, that can bring about change in a person, like the reading, the memorizing, the speaking, and the obeying of the Bible. That may come across a little subjective to you. So be it. But I lay it before you. And I challenge you with this. Test it. That's all. Test the claim. I challenge you to wholeheartedly submit your life to the instruction of the scriptures and observe what happens in, to, and through you. You couldn't stay the same if you tried. Some of you are like, no, wait, but test it. Now, the final step that leads me to believe that the Bible is the word of God brings us back to the summer of 2012. I told you I was going to continue with that story. Here it is. 
I've been wrestling with, with my faith in Jesus for about nine months. In July of that year, I had an encounter with God in which I experienced. You're going to have to. Guys, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have to reinforce this. You, you got to bring your mind, but that's not all you can bring here. You, you bring your mind, but you have to bring more of you. Do you know that you are more than a mind? You are more than a mind. In July that year, I had an encounter with God in which I experienced him challenging me that it was time to move on from, challenge, from childish things. It was time to step into a new season of spiritual adulthood. He gave me a glimpse of my future. And it was like we had a heart to heart. Just father and son. And it went something like this. Seth, it's time to make a choice. You can continue your intellectual dance around what you know to be true. You can do that. Or you can trust me on this one. And know that you don't have to have all the answers in order to rest in the truth. trust me on this one you don't have to have all the answers to rest in the truth I made my choice that day July 16th 2012 and all my not all my questions have gone away if I told you that they had I'd be lying to you and it doesn't help not all my questions have gone away, but my soul has found rest in the truth. My soul has found rest in the word of God. I want to read something over you if you close your eyes. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Reward. 